0: Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omer Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. Today's interview is with Ryan Hamlin. Ryan is the founder and CEO of Placeful, an online marketplace that allows merchants to offer real-time booking of their spaces, services, camps, and classes. Placeful was founded in 2011 by Ryan and his co-founder, George Webb. And to date, the company has raised over $2.5 million in funding. Ryan, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Laura.
0: Now, before we talk about Pace, uh, Placeful... Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who is Ryan when he's not working?
1: (laughs) Um, Well, I'm a big-time dad. I have four boys, so I spend a lot of time just with my kids, my family, Uh, into sports, athletics. You can probably find me at a gym. Uh, If I'm not watching a basketball game, I'm probably shooting hoops with one of my sons Um, and just try to be, uh, not to be too cheesy, but try to be pretty involved in the community. Um, I'm a local Washingtonian born and raised here. So I love the state. I love Seattle. uh, I love kind of the tech energy that's in this uh, in this general area right now. And so I try to do my time on some boards uh, as well.
0: Now, we like to kick things off with a success quote to better understand what drives and motivates our guests. What is one of your favorite quotes?
1: So you know that there's a quote out there and it's it's a twist on one um, much like I think you had mentioned as well but so we've heard of the quote balance is the key to life um, and uh, there was a, an author I read a book a few a uh, few years ago Dr. Edwin Cole and he had a twist of it and he said balance is the key to life and variety is the spice of life and for me I think that's just really important um, you know you heard in the intro I've got four kids so I'm busy Um, work is super important, but so is family. So is uh, my community. And I think, you know, if you focus on any one of those uh, in particular, and you don't have that variety, I think you do miss out on kind of the
0: spice of life. The spice of life. I love that. Okay. Let's start by giving the listeners a better understanding of place for, can you talk a little bit about who are your target customers and what are the top pain points that you're trying to solve for them?
1: So there's, uh, like a lot of startups, we had a pivot. So if you go back to 2011 when we started, our customer was the consumer. And the whole idea was have a marketplace, much like OpenTable, where you could search, find a class or camp or an event and book it. And it was free to our businesses to be on that marketplace. We quickly realized that um, that was a great consumer experience But there wasn't enough motivation to the merchant to make sure that they kept their inventory up to date, that they actually used Placeful in a meaningful way that when we promoted it to consumers, it would drive the kind of value that we had hoped. So like a lot of startups, we pivoted um, about 18 months ago or about 16 months ago, I guess now, and really our customer became the merchant. And we took our product, and it was already a platform. We went more into a software as a service play, started charging a monthly fee for them to use our product, the merchants, and uh, really saw just a complete difference in our growth and our revenue. And um, because we now had a way for the merchants to feel accountable, because it's like anything, when something's free, um, you just don't have that same incentive, versus even when you're paying a small nominal fee of 30 or 40 bucks a month. It really gets skin in the game, and the merchant makes it a point to really focus in on the product.
0: Okay, I definitely want to talk more about that, but before we get into the details, yeah, what were you doing um, before you started Placeful?
1: So I was at Microsoft and uh, was there for a while, and ran a bunch of different marketplaces uh, at the company. So early MSN days with uh, running CarPoint and HomeAdvisor. And you know, interesting enough, um, my experiences there are pretty parallel to what I'm doing now because even way back when in kind of the late 90s with CarPoint, we were selling referrals to automotive dealerships. And the general idea is you do your research on a car, and then uh, if you're interested in purchasing, you would submit your information. It would go to a dealership in your area, and Microsoft had a basic referral model where they would make money off of that. And, you know, interesting enough, that's that's how a place will start. It was a marketplace. And um, instead of just uh, a referral, but it was uh, real time booking. But the general idea was the same work with merchants to find them leads, find them customers and provide value um, through a, a booking uh, or a referral model.
0: Okay, so let's go back to the early days of Placeful and explore how you got started. Can you tell me a little bit about where the idea for this product came from?
1: So the, the idea of Placeful was uh, driven from my own personal experience um, of, you know, had a, had a bigger family, had a, had a large team at Microsoft, and it felt like almost every night it was either going to a business function or going to a family function um, or maybe it was something board-related but we're always looking for uh, venues or events or activities. And it involved picking up the phone and calling. And there was a, I got personally frustrated because it was by the time we all do our jobs, we get home at night and we actually have a few minutes to think about the next day or the next weekend, everybody's closed. And so you would find yourself leaving messages or sending emails and you never really knew. And, and the reality is, um, in the in the day and age we're in now, it, consumers are trained to instant gratification. I mean, it's it is what it is, whether you like it or not. We're a society now that expects instant uh, instant results, instant gratification, and so that's where the idea came from: was hey, you know, let's take something like Open Table did for restaurants, and let's create that same experience for all these other merchants that aren't restaurants, but they have all these other cool things that you can rent, whether it's an event space a class for a kid or a birthday party or um a camp you know that you want to send your child to for summer vacation. So that was the, that was the premise that Placeful was started on.
0: Okay, so you've got this idea for a product. What did you do to try and validate the idea?
1: So, uh we started with our MVP and uh so our minimal viable product was the Seattle market and we were going to focus in on just kids events because even though activities and events you know they happen for corporations and for adults we wanted to zero in on the kid side of it and say okay let's focus on kids businesses in the seattle area that need to have an online presence for booking uh, primarily around birthday parties and so we started looking at you know trampoline places bowling alleys um, art studios any place that would host a kid event uh, primarily around a party and um We went and talked to them and had the idea. We pitched them on it and we said, hey, for free, come sign up for Placeful and we'll get you on the marketplace. And that's our first six months really were around Seattle only getting local merchants to publish onto the placeful.com marketplace.
0: Okay. How, How much money did you need to get that first version of the product built?
1: So it was bootstrapped um, By me and the myself and the co-founder, and we we probably spent that first year about four hundred thousand dollars to just kind of bootstrap it, Um, and which is a pretty big you know amount of money for a bootstrap for a couple of us to come in, and then that's really when we started to realize that to make this thing go, we needed to have some additional funding, uh, and we started to look at an angel funding round, and fortunately. Um, having been at Microsoft for a while, had a really nice network there of folks um, and then born and raised in Seattle area, um, had a good network of kind of angel investors here in Seattle.
0: Do, do you remember how you got your first paying customer?
1: Hmm. Yeah. Um, it's funny you said it's maybe typical of others. It was a friend. <laughs> it was, you know, hey, come, come use, come use Placeful. Uh, and we have, you know, the funny thing is we have the booking registration up on our wall. Uh, he booked, uh, a a, a boat rental, um, for for a group of 10 adults to go out on Lake Union. And there was, it was one of our first customers was uh, a guy that had a kind of a fancy boat and he rented his boat out for little Saturday day trips. And I convinced him that, Hey, that'd be a really cool thing to do. And by the way, when you rent it, why don't you take Julie and I and my wife, uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, looking back at those early days, what do you think was one of the biggest mistakes that you made?
1: You know, I think that for us, the biggest was I had this belief that um, I really needed to stick to my MVP. And I think the concept of defining your minimal viable product and your market that you're attacking, I think that's a really good way to enter into a startup. But you have to have flexibility. And I think for me, that was the biggest learning is I found myself saying, Yeah, we shouldn't do that because you know that's really outside of our MVP. And I think early on, if we would have let ourselves go outside of the boundaries just a little bit, I think we would have learned some of those lessons that we had to learn maybe a little harder later on. So I think the biggest lesson for me and the biggest advice that I definitely say to entrepreneurs now entrepreneurs now is Don't get so caught up in your MVP definition that you lose the broader goal and focus of what you're trying to accomplish.
0: That's good advice. Okay, so you launched Placeful in 2011. So you've been at this for about three years. At what point did you feel like you were getting meaningful traction?
1: Um, Yesterday? No. uh, (laughs) No, you know, it's... You look back always, and you feel like in the moment you're in that. Yes, we're we're making great progress, and so each time you you have that moment six months later, you think back and go, "Wow, I really didn't realize." You know, we really didn't have it figured out. (laughs) So I think you know, with a startup, things are always changing. Things are always um, you know you having to make those adjustments. For us. The biggest thing that was the aha moment for me, like, wow, this thing's really going to work, was when we started to see consecutive months of 15 to 20% growth. Um, And that growth was in the form of merchants signing up as well as our revenue growth. Because I think in a SaaS, particularly a SaaS model – you got it it's a slow road. You're not going to become all overnight instantly viral and you know triple your revenue. It's it, a SaaS business really is about ten to twenty percent growth, and you just keep chugging along like a locomotive. And eventually, you have this great base of merchants that gives you this reoccurring revenue stream, and you kind of look back and go, "Man, now we're set." I mean, I can look now on our in our uh, financials and realize. We have all these customers that have prepaid for the year, so I know that that income is in the bank, and we have that reoccurring revenue stream, which is a beautiful thing. Because I think as a, as a startup, you got to be really careful when you build businesses that you don't have a reoccurring revenue stream, where it's completely seasonal, or in the case of Placeful, when we first started, they only paid when they had a booking, the merchants. So it was really hard for us to do any sort of forecasting, because we had no idea how many bookings would come in in any given month. And so now that we have a software licensing model in place, it really gives us the ability to forecast and understand our business much, much better.
0: All right. I want to go back and talk more about this pivot that you, you mentioned that you guys made about 16 months ago. Now, as I understand before that, uh, the business model was basically you bringing on these merchants, not charging them anything and then taking some kind of transactional fee when a consumer made a booking. Um, tell me more about why you made that change back then.
1: Yeah, so I, I think it's the classic question that a lot of entrepreneur, entrepreneurs have to look at, which is, um, you know, you look at your financial statement, and you need to understand: is this a business that's going to be a sustainable business? And so we were, you know, we were going down this path of a marketplace. We had, unfortunately, the seasonality of a product that we could only forecast revenue when there was bookings because we weren't in a SaaS model yet. And for us, um, we looked at the unit of economics and people always talk about unit of economics, but it's an extremely important part of running a startup. For us, unit of economics is three, three key variables. It's how much does it cost to acquire a customer? How much monthly reoccurring revenue does that customer bring? And lastly, what is the lifetime value of that customer? And you have to really look at all three of those and understand that if those numbers aren't working, you're not going to be in business. So you need to make a pivot. And for us, that's really what it came down to. We looked at the current marketplace and we recognized that given our current unit of economics, we're going to be out of business. So we had to come back to the table and figure out, okay, how do we make this a sustainable business model that is going to give us the right economics so that we can grow this thing? And that's really when... We said we needed to have a reoccurring revenue stream and we transitioned from a transaction only revenue based on bookings to a software as a licensed business. And we now have the ability to forecast out because we know our reoccurring monthly revenue based on our subscription fees.
0: So how did you make that change with these merchants? So you've been, you know, working away at bringing these merchants on, they're used to not paying anything. What did you have to change both in terms of um, the product or the offering to convince these merchants to start paying you?
1: Yeah, we had, well, number one, we had to make sure that the platform that they were going to be using of ours had the right set of features for them to want to commit to saying, you know what, you guys are going to become the master scheduler. Because if you think about booking any event, uh, the worst thing that can happen is you book a time that's either, you know, not available, someone else has taken it, or you double book something. So in this case, um, we had to make sure that our calendar was the master calendar for their business. So we had to go in and we had to do things like Google sync. So if you're using a Google calendar, that'll sync up with a Placeful calendar or using Outlook. So we had to go through our, our feature set and make sure that we had the right set of things built in so that it would make it really easy for the merchant to say, yeah, I can count on Placeful as my master Of My schedule and my data um, so that it avoids any sort of conflict with users. Once we did that and we explained to them why we needed them to pay a monthly fee um, and we basically lowered their transaction fees um, almost down to 20% from what they were paying before they got it. And they understood, okay, now I know what you guys are at. You know, you're not just a marketplace where you're going to, I'm going to get the occasional booking, but you guys really are a core part of our business that we're going to, you know, we're going to partner with you and you're going to help us run our business.
0: And and presumably by moving to a, um, a subscription model or or a licensing model, as you called it, it gave those businesses more predictability as well in terms of what they were spending with you.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then you could show value because, now, when you're driving business to them and bookings are coming through, it's really easy to say, you know you have roughly on average one and a half bookings a month, and you've just paid for your software license.
0: So do these merchants also use your service on their own websites? Is that how it works now?
1: Yeah, so that's that was part of the pivot is it wasn't just gonna it wasn't just on the marketplace, but we provide them um, an embed capability on their own website, on their Facebook page as well. In fact, about twenty percent of our bookings come from Facebook, so there's a full integrated Facebook experience for all of our merchants.
0: Got it. And so, you know, you focused on businesses with spaces um, to rent, or or you talk about classes and things like that. But it sounds like that this this product could have much broader application, right? Could Could it be used by doctors or hair salons or?
1: Yeah, no, that's in I goes back to our first comment about MVP. Um, When you, you look at, okay, who's using this, what kind of merchants, you start to learn the characteristics of the businesses and you apply those characteristics across other verticals. So in our case, it was, okay, anybody that has any sort of a reoccurring event and a reoccurring event could be You know, you took the beginner class, but now you're going to take the intermediate class or you went, your kid went to this camp last year. Maybe they want to go to the next camp or you had a birthday here last year. Maybe you have another birthday. So when we saw that our platform worked for reoccurring events, we started to look beyond like, okay, well, hair, not in my case, if you see my picture, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, but, you know, most people need haircuts, uh, you know, once a month, um, you know, you want to go to the salon you want, you know, you need, you need your house cleaned. you need your gutters cleaned. These are all Things that now are reoccurring events. And that's really where Placeful, we started to look and go, we're a really nice fit for those merchants and those verticals that have these reoccurring events.
0: Now, looking back at the business over the last few years, what's one thing you wish you'd known when you started out working on this business?
1: <laughs> um. Well, I think probably the biggest, you know, we talked about the MVP before, but for any startup, in particular, um, in, in our case, in my case, you and I both coming with a Microsoft background. When you have Microsoft on your business card, um, a lot of doors open, um, a lot of phones get picked up. And when you start and you're this company called Placeful and no one's ever heard of you, um, simply getting building a really great product doesn't necessarily mean – that merchants are going to be knocking down the door to sign up. So for me and for us, merchant acquisition and frankly churn is probably the biggest learning we've had to kind of understand and coming up with creative ways, inexpensive ways, because you're watching the finances to acquire new merchants um, is super important. And then once you acquire them, you've got to take care of them. I mean, it's the classic, uh, scenario where you know once you have a customer, you can't afford to give them up because you spend so much money acquiring them. So really understanding your merchant acquisition strategy, and then even more importantly, how do you keep them so they don't turn off?
0: So let's talk uh, about the size of the the business today. How many customers do you have?
1: So we have about. Uh, 27,000 customers in what we call our freemium model. So they all have a, a, a one page presence, they get free referrals, they're in our directories. So if you were to go to, for example, pottery.placeful.com, it would include a directory of pottery locations all throughout the United States. And then we have about a 1000 of those in our subscription model. And this year will be um, our first year, where we'll have um, over a million dollars in revenue, so we're really excited.
0: Oh, congratulations! Thanks. So, uh, so how did you go about um, acquiring these twenty seven thousand uh, users? What 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 were some of the marketing strategies that have have been most effective for you guys?
1: So, a lot of people would say. Um, SEM and SEO. I mean, I think we all get caught up in the buzzwords of late, but the reality is it's a given. You have to have good SEO when you engineer a product. So I'm not really going to talk about that. You have to do a little bit of SEM search spend, but frankly, startups don't have the kind of money, um, to really buy the kind of terms you need to make a big presence, um, online for SEM. So if you kind of assume those two aren't necessarily your main ways, you have to be creative. And, and in our case, Um, we went after associations. So we recognized that a lot of these merchants that we were dealing with were members of associations. So whether it was a photography association or a pottery association, you know, batting cage facilities, pretty much all of these small businesses we deal with, there is one or two associations out there. You'd be surprised by all of them that you can find. And so what we did is we partnered up with them. And we would uh, establish a relationship to, to give them Um, value give the association value and basically by saying things like hey if your members sign up we'll give you a discount on their subscription fee Um, they'll be in a, a custom directory for you so you can have your own directory for your association and those would be our freemium one pages that we'd give to them so for us it was really cost effective because we wouldn't have to spend that much to generate these one pagers and give them a directory and the beauty of it is, they promoted us because they would promote it to their member base. And so now you've got a third party promoting you, which is kind of the best of both worlds because you're not having to spend the money, and they're promoting you.
0: Got it. So, if I understand correctly, you you figured out uh, once you understood who your target customers were, you figured out who the influencers were in those markets, and then you went out and reached out to those guys directly. And use them as a way to leverage your your marketing.
1: Yeah. And influencers. Yeah. I mean, that's a great way to say it, because that's the associations we do have um, sponsored sites too. for example, in our case, kids sites that are marketing our mommy blogs that are writing, um, you know, that have big subscription base that talk to moms about what to do this summer or, you know, what's the best birthday party. And then we go and we partner with them for both content and, and our directory.
0: Is there one thing in your business that you're most excited about right now?
1: It's probably boring, but honestly, it's month over month growth. I mean, as a when you struggle uh, it, to start a business and when you finally start to see that month over month growth number, it gets you excited, right? Each month, you know, instead of kind of dreading looking at the financials, I look forward to see our month end financials to see what percent growth we had. So that it's it's kind of a maybe a nerdy startup thing to say but honestly the growth of the business is is super fulfilling and satisfying.
0: Yeah, well that's what it's all about and I think getting to seven figure business is is a great milestone, right? It's um so I think I think it's just a great story in terms of the value of being flexible and figuring out when to pivot.
1: Yes, no that's absolutely right.
0: Okay, Ryan, it's time for our lightning round. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and I'd like you to answer them as quickly as possible. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. What's the best piece of business advice that you ever received?
1: So I was back at Microsoft, and I was young and, and focused on career and titles a little too much. And I had a boss that basically told me, hey, Ryan, your career is a marathon, not a sprint. Stop worrying about your title. Stop worrying about how many people work for you and focus in on just doing the right thing. And that really kind of hit home and has really carried through even now in a startup.
0: What book would you recommend to our audience and why? So I read Tipping Point a while back
1: with Malcolm uh, Gladwell. And then I liked even better than that, I liked his follow up. So I like Blink. Um, the power of thinking without thinking blink it for me, it really helped understand that inner voice and that kind of gut feel that you get as a leader um, so yeah, blink by malcolm gladwell
0: what 's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur?
1: You have to be a hundred and fifty percent convicted and belief in your idea because you will have everyone telling you negative (laughs) things on what won't work and you have to parse through all of that and have this unending belief in your idea.
0: What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit?
1: So one of the best times and I try to do this at least once a month um, or if not twice a month is I literally go into a conference room, I shut the door, I grab a piece of paper, and I draw out ideas. Um, I'm not a guy that just sits and types out new features or new thoughts. I like, I'm a visual person and I just draw. Sometimes I'll draw a screen and I'll be like, you know what, we need to design something like this that can do this. So I'm a very visual person. And frankly, I love the opportunity to have two or three hours just to sit down and think and draw out some ideas.
0: If you had to start over tomorrow, how would you go about finding that next business opportunity?
1: I realized definitely through my time at Microsoft and now Placeful, I'm a consumer guy. I like um, helping either businesses that are helping consumers or consumers directly. So I would do something in the consumer space. Um, I love all the stuff that's going on right now around fitness. Um, I think things like Fitbit and um, you know GPS tracking, I think I'll, there's going to be tons of innovation in this space over the next couple of years. So I think I would do something in that, that category.
0: What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know?
1: Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, I was interviewed live on Good Morning America um, when I ran the anti-spam team at Microsoft, and it was in the height of all the spam uh, negativity. And uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to fly back to New York and be interviewed live on Good Morning America.
0: I I did not know that. (laughs) <laughs> and and for for folks listening, um, I've known Ryan for, gosh, um, fourteen years. Yes, and I just still didn't. Know that.
1: see the guy, I had to come up with something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, and finally, what is um one of your most important passions outside of your work?
1: Uh, I'm I'm gonna just have to say being a dad. Uh, my kids keep me grounded. Uh, you you can have bad days, good days. Uh, But coming home uh, and just, you know, shooting some hoops um, with my sons or playing catch uh, brings everything back to uh, ground level and and tells me what's really important in life. So that's what it's going to be.
0: All right. Great answers. Ryan, I want to thank you for joining me today and sharing your experiences and insights with our audience. And thank you for letting us get to know you a little better personally as well. Now, if folks want to find out more about Placeful, they can go to placeful.com. Or if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Uh, Frankly, they're going to email me directly at ryan, R-Y-A-N, at placeful.com with two L's.
0: Awesome. Ryan, thanks again, and I wish you continued success. Thanks, Omar. Thanks. Appreciate having me this morning. Cheers.